Hey everyone, and welcome back to On Stage, Off Stage. This is episode number 130, June of 2020. I'm your host, George Sapio, and we are deep into the nightmare that is COVID-19. We hope that all of you are staying healthy, playing it safe, and staying inside unless absolutely necessary. And of course, wearing your protective masks when you do venture out. We know this crisis has become a huge inconvenience with many of our activities closed down for the duration. Please remember though, this is not just about your life, but of those within your breathing space as well. This virus has no mercy whatsoever, so please, for the sake of your family, friends, and neighbors, wear your masks, maintain a safe distance, and reduce your public exposure to only what is necessary. We can beat this thing, but only if we keep in mind that it's all about taking care of each other. So in response to the COVID-19 outbreak that has silenced many of the theaters worldwide, On Stage, Off Stage will, for the near future, be presenting plays that were scheduled for performance but have been either postponed or canceled. We hate to see these works lose their exposure, so since we have a safe outlet, we're doing what we can to help out. That being said, our first play reading will be Curse of the Bambino by A.J. Sage. A.J. Sage, you may remember, has appeared on On Stage, Off Stage before in episode 99 back in November of 2017. A.J. is a longtime theater colleague and a friend from Ithaca. A.J. is many things in the theater world. Uh, playwright, director, actor, teaching assistant for the Actors Workshop of Ithaca, and artistic director of House of Ithaca Theater Company. All right, so let's get to it. Curse of the Bambino will be read by A.J. Sage as Carl, Ithaca acting legend Milo Bohack as his father, Paul, and Will Wallace as Kevin. Stage directions read by Maura Stevens. As the play opens, we have lights up on the living room of a suburban American home. Carl and his father, Paul, are in the middle of a fight. What the fuck? Listen. No, I mean, I mean, seriously. What the fuck? Dad. I think I'm going to, I mean, God, Jesus. Would you mind repeating that back to me one more time? You come into my house and tell me this? Uh, this is just... I'd like it if you sat down. Why? Because you've got to calm down or else... Calm down, he says. Or else you're oh. going to hyperventilate or, or worse. Tell me something. What could make this worse, huh? What exactly could make this worse? I find out that my own son is a... Fuck! You can't even say it, can you? No! And I shouldn't have to! Wow. What? Wow. What I mean is, wow. I knew you were stuck in your ways, but not to this degree. Far as I'm concerned, being true to your principles ain't stuck in your ways. Are you ashamed of me? Uh, <clears throat> Dad? <sighs> okay. No, I'm not. But I'm damn well embarrassed of this new quality of yours. So you are ashamed of me. What did I just say? Anyway, it's not new. I've been this way. Yeah? How long? Since I can remember. Since I was a, a kid. I guess. Bullshit. You're telling me all this time you've been rooting for the other team. Yes. Nah. Nah, nah, nah. I wouldn't known if you had. 
I didn't raise you like that. I didn't raise you to be that. Say it. No. Come on, say the words. Let them spill out. It'll make you feel better. Carl. It'll be like uh, catharsis. Say it. Say it, say it, say it, say Stop it. Stop that. You're being a damn child. This is my house, and I will not be bullied by my own son. I apologize. Uh-huh. Really? Yeah. Dad, it's not that big of a deal. Do you even hear yourself? It is that big of a deal. Why? Because it is. Now put the game back on. I think we should talk about this if it makes you so upset. We talked. What did we just do? It's, look, it's a detail. It's like, I'm white. I'm 31 years old. I'm six foot one. I think you two kind of sucks. I'm gay. None of these things defines me. Would so you why cut was... it out? It means more than that and you know it. It doesn't have to. Put the game back on. I don't have time for this little revelation of yours. Yeah. Fine. Carl grabs a remote control and turns on the television. So, what's the score? You know what the score is. Not without my glasses. It's 4-2. Socks? Blue Jays. Oh. Yeah. What inning? Seventh. Mm. Two men on, though. Now who's up? Fernandez. He always comes up. Oh! That was your pitch! No, he doesn't. What? Fernandez doesn't come up big. Yeah, he does. He's hitting 197 with runners in scoring position this year with a 22% K rate. Fernandez is there when you need him. Don't need a bunch of fancy statistics when I've got two working eyes. No, those aren't fancy. You want to hear about his negative 0.4 VORP? Uh, give it a rep. What are you swinging on that for? Fucking ball in the dirt! He throws something. Oh. <sighs> Fucking Fernandez piece of shit. Dad. I'm calm. I. He flips the oh. TV off. I can't do this with you in the room, okay? This used to be fun. So I'll get going then, I guess. You don't have to. Yeah? Yeah, I'm, I'm just at a loss here is all. I, I know to you it seems like I'm overreacting. A little, sure. But this means something to me. You know that, don't you? I do. Does Mom know? <laughs> Would she even know the difference? <laughs> nah. How about Kevin? You haven't told Kevin? You guys tell each other everything. He doesn't need to know. <laughs> oh, wow. If you think I'm upset, oh, woof. I know. He worships the ground you walk on. Yep. He's coming over soon, you know. I know. Soon, as in about 10 minutes. I know. And you're not going to drop the bomb on him like you did on me. Drop the bomb? 
Have you completely gone insane? Ah, don't try to turn this around on me. So wait, are you telling me that I'm the only one who knows? No. A lot of my friends know, and there's, there's even this bar that I go to for people, you know, in Boston who are like me. Yeah, but out of the family. I'm the first. Yeah. But, Dad, it, it's not like I came over today expecting to tell you. It just came up. You really never knew. Never even suspected. Never. God's sake, I had a picture of Paul O'Neill above my bed. Yeah, I figured because he's got the same name as your old man. Well, that too. This is unbelievable. Oh. And before you start accusing me of being intolerant or whatever, I know there's guys like you out there. Hell, enough guys to fill a stadium. And I may make a joke here and there about him, but really, I've got no problem with their choice. Variety is the spice of life and yada yada. But to know that my own son, growing up his whole life under my roof, is like that? That's heartbreaking, kid. Okay. I thought we shared values. And how exactly does this affect my values? Where do your values come from? From my dad? You should try it. It's a pretty good place to start. Oh, for Christ's sake. And speaking of my dad, <laughs> you're lucky that Grandpa isn't around to see this. Yes. Yes, I'm very lucky for that. You know, I'm sure that Grandpa would be giving me largely the same lecture as you are, threatening to disown me over nothing. I'm a lucky guy. First of all, this isn't nothing. Second, I'm not disowning you. I'm trying to sort this all out in my head. Do you love me? Yes. Really? Yes. Like I said, this isn't a lifestyle that I necessarily support. It's not a lifestyle. But you're my only kid, and I love you. I never told you this, but... I never told you this. But when I first found out about you, found out that I was going to be a dad, all my friends told me that I should tell your mom to... You know, have it taken care of. And I'm not going to lie to you. A young guy like me staring down the prospect of being attached for the rest of his life? A big part of me back then wanted to follow their advice. They weren't great guys. But your mom was Catholic, still is, I guess, so that was out of the picture. Not that I would have asked her to do it anyway, but you get the point, right? Anyway, point is, the moment I saw you for the first time, the moment I held you, the big thought in my head was how gigantic of an idiot I was. You were so tiny and helpless, and I had to take care of you no matter what. I would have died for you. I would have taken a bullet for you, moved heaven and earth for you. And I still would, right now. And if you don't get that, then that's your problem. Thank you. Yeah. But then what? Then you fast forward 31 years from that day that you were born. Fast forward through birthday parties and piano recitals and puberty. Fucking hell, I might add. <laughs> 
and Little League games and graduations and picking you up from karate. And forgetting to pick me up from karate. <laughs> that was one time. <laughs> and talking and trying to instill the core values. The kind of stuff that you're supposed to get from your dad when you're a kid. Family values, things to pass down, things like this. Opinions that you just don't have. Feelings that no real man could ever harbor, especially when you're from this neighborhood. So do you get where I'm coming from? Do you get my dilemma here? Yeah. Yeah, and you talk to Kevin, he'll feel the same way. He will. Yeah. It was a time not too long ago, you get your ass kicked pretty hard for telling people what you just told me. <sighs> this neighborhood. Oof. Before you get in a tizzy, I'm not saying that's right. I'm just saying it's a fact. Uh-huh. What do I tell the guys at work? You're not obligated to tell them anything. It'll come up, especially now that you're out. We talk about our kids and stuff like that. You know, guy stuff. They're all going to bust my balls. Let them. And if it makes you feel any better, your buddy Jim... At work? Hmm? You know. What? You know. Roots for the same team as me. Oh, no way! Jim? Jim. Oh, bullshit. How do you know? I see him all the time down at that bar I go to. Oh, Jesus, but... <sighs> He's the last guy, I mean... Last guy you'd expect, right? <laughs> There's no archetype. Yeah, I guess not. You know, I always tried to do the best thing for you. I know. This is just how I feel. Yeah, then it's how you feel, son. Dad? A handshake that turns into an embrace. <clears throat> uh, that'll be Kevin. I'll get it. Please, don't. I won't. Carl crosses to the door and lets Kevin in. He's a young man, roughly the same age. Hi. Hi, you. They hug. Cutie pie. They kiss. Paul notices and smiles. I miss you today. I miss you too. What's the matter? Nothing. Come on, I can always tell. We'll... Talk later, okay? Okay. Kevin, how's it hanging? As always, a little bit to the left. <laughs> How are you doing, Mr. McDonough? Oh, for the last time, none of this Mr. McDonough business. Makes me feel like a doddering old geezer. You're my son's husband. You call me dad. Sounds good, dad. Grab a beer. No, sorry to rush, but the babysitter's on the clock. Yeah, say no more. Thought I'd pick up this little minx here and be on my way. That's fine. Fine. Okay, let's go. You see the game? Who, socks? I don't know. We were down 4-2 in the seventh. Fernandez struck out with the guys on second and third. Yeah, well, he came back up in the ninth. Yeah? Three-run homer straight to center field. No shit! Fernandez! <laughs> what did I tell you, kid? Uh-huh. Fernandez always comes through. 
Fernandez always comes through. <laughs> the matter, baby? You don't like Fernandez? Apparently, he's got negative VORP, whatever that means. Nah, statistics. You got that right. Listen, can we just get out of here? Yeah, um, okay. <laughs> Something's not right here. Dad, what's up? Nothing. Very convincing. I'm going to get to the bottom of this, you two. It's nothing. We, we had a little fight. Uh-huh. What about? Uh, not my place to tell you, he says. Baby, tell me what's going on. Fine. Whatever. It's not the fucking apocalypse. Today, I... Uh, I accidentally let slip to my dad that I'm... You're what? Oh, boy. <laughs> I'm a Yankees fan. I always have been. What the fuck? Lights to black. And that was Curse of the Bambino by A.J. Sage. The actors were A.J. Sage as Carl, Milo Bohack as his father Paul, and Will Wallace as Kevin. The stage directions were read by Morris Stevens. A.J. was kind enough to give us a few moments of his time, so we pitched some questions at him. A.J., great little play. I love this thing. Well, thank you so much. Yeah. Are you keeping your uh, acting chops up down there? I wish I could. This is the first time I've actually done anything in probably a year. Yeah, the last time we did was when we did uh, one of my plays down here. That, that was Fault Lines, right? Yeah, that was Fault Lines. I was the stage manager for that once. I do remember that. That was an experience. <laughs> <laughs> and a half, as I remember. That was the uh, late, great Camilla Shad directing. Yeah, she was wonderful. I miss Camilla. She gave she gave so much to that play, too. Made my words look really good. <laughs> Do we have time for me to share a, a very short story from that? Yeah, sure. Pitch it in. You probably remember that. That was the first full-up big show I had ever been an SM for. And we got to we got to tech. We there were like 30 minutes left in a rehearsal. Camilla said, you know, we had we have about a half hour left. Um, do you want to run a Q to Q? I didn't know what a Q to Q was because I didn't know very much of the vocabulary. But I, uh, I am also a, can be a pretty egoic person who has trouble admitting I don't know things. Kind of paused for a second and, and I, I very confidently said, no, I don't think that's necessary. Uh, and Camilla did that thing where she. She just <laughs> stares, she stares right in, not like, not like staring daggers, but she just looks into your soul. And she paused for a second, she just paused for a second too, and she said, okay, well, the actors have worked hard, they, they can go home for the night. So we were packing things up, and she, she very gently approached me from behind and put a hand on my shoulder and said, AJ, would you like me to explain to you what a Q to Q is? <laughs> <laughs> and we worked for probably 45 minutes just going through that. She had tact and delicacy. Yeah. She did. Yeah, she could have. I, I can think of certain other directors I know that would have absolutely railroaded a person oh, for that. Oh, yeah. Camilla was actually on the show a year ago, episode 117. It was a wonderful time talking to her. I definitely miss her. Uh, so let's get back to you. Yeah. Where did this play come from? Are you a baseball fan? And which team do you root for? <laughs> so, yeah. I'm, I'm an enormous baseball fan. Um, I, I root for the Yankees, which is something I kind of switched up in the script. Um, or, or I should say I switched up in the sense that my, my whole family roots for the Yankees. So it would actually be the opposite situ situation if, if I 
came out as a Red Sox fan, it would be trouble. Um, and I would say, you know, I, I don't, it's, it's essentially a, a, a long shaggy dog joke when it comes down to it. Um, so I, I don't want to overplay it. Like it's got some big message to it or anything, but I guess the, I would say that the, the, the seed of thought for it comes from the fact that, um, so Will, who's my husband, who was, who was actually reading Kevin, um, uh, in the, in the play, um, is a um, trans man who, um, when when we got married, and you were actually the one who married us, um, um, Will was assigned female at birth and was um, presenting as, as female at the time and then transitioned about a year into our marriage. And so naturally, uh, I had to have a lot of conversations with family. And the one that I was sort of dreading the most was with my dad, sort of the only conservative Republican um, in my nuclear family, and it, you know, I, I kind of was building up the conversation in my head about how it was going to go. And um, I actually had this thought, which is which was, you know, if if it doesn't go well, I'll at least have a play I can write about it. <laughs> um, and so I told him and he he received it with like as much grace as you could possibly imagine. I, I would actually say he, he was the family member that had had like the least trouble with the uh, will's new name and pronouns and and, and all of it um and I, I was there i had this sort of sarcastic thought which is like what is the country coming to when you can't have an argument with your conservative father about your gay marriage <laughs> <laughs> so i it, it just it kind of turned into this thing where it was like what if you have this long uh, an entire play that's essentially one joke, as it turns out at the end, which is that you have this this character, the the father character, Paul, um, who the the audience is is reading as as a homophobe mm-hmm. the entire time, um, yeah. when in reality his his son has has been in a in a same sex marriage for for some years, um, presumably you know came out as gay when he was a teenager, and he's never had a problem with it, and yet there's still this other thing that he would disown him for. It can be extremely difficult when family members are conservative and they don't understand and they don't have the the life experience to make that leap when you come home and you say things have changed sexually or gender-wise here. It's mm-hmm. not something they understand. And a lot of people have not had the luck that you've had with the wonderful family that you have to embrace this and welcome you. Um, Baseball, on the other hand, that can be a completely different thing. Most of the, <laughs> a lot of the guys I grew up with were rabid baseball fans, and I, it's like I mentioned earlier before we started taping. I find baseball only slightly more boring than golf. <laughs> um, and although when I was a kid, I I loved it. My dad brought me up on it. He was he was total sports guy. Told you know. It's, Got me into baseball, got me into this, got me into boxing, which almost killed me, got me into hockey, which almost killed me. I think he was trying to get rid of me. Um, <laughs> but I, I collected baseball cards, and I did all that sort of stuff. You know, recog- I memorized all the names, all the, you know, I knew who was on what team. I know who played third base for the Brooklyn Dodgers in 55. I don't remember anymore. Huh. Um, but then that all switched during the 70s, and... The guys that I grew up with, still uh, rabid baseball fans. They spend half their time doing fantasy uh, baseball, fantasy football, doing mm-hmm. the whole sports thing. And for them, you know, it's uh, it's. If I said I was a you know Red Sox fan, which I'm not, they probably have killed me. Yeah, 
Yeah, it's. Uh, I, re- I actually remember when I was when I was first looking at colleges. Um, we visited Harvard, um, and just sort of as a joke, I wore a Mariana Rivera jersey, who was the the relief pitcher for the Yankees at the time, um, to the to the tour of the college. Um, and this was in Cambridge, not even in you know Southie or anything like that. And I still got harassed on the on the street. Mm-hmm. Not in a serious way, but just like uh, you get told Yankees suck by 15 different people. Um, and it's also, you know, baseball is sort of a um, it's it's a bit unique in the sense that the, that the, the season is very, very long. And it your team plays pretty much every day for six or seven months. Um, so on top of being something that people are passionate about, it's also just one of those things that you kind of throw on in the background of doing other things. Uh, it's not like football where you know, the, the the team recoups after one big game and then you get yourself amped up for another big game and the, the crowd goes wild. Like you know, yeah. in baseball, even even the best teams lose about thirty five to forty percent of the time. Um, so it's it's sort of got this more relaxed feel to it. Like um, you just if you if you're a family that watches baseball, it's just sort of on all the time. And that that's sort of another thing I wanted to hit, to hit here was that. Um, what this means to the to the dad is that it's not only a certain betrayal of trust. It's it's sort of like this this everyday thing that he took for granted. Is it, there's now a seismic shift oh, yeah. to it, which I, I, I think is is uh, part of the part of the psychology of, of parents um, who who have issues with their um, LGBT children, which is not it, it's not just a social reaction to it. It's like this thing that was for granted. And now it's not for granted anymore, and the, the cognitive dissonance involved can be very troublesome. Well, it's like when Paul says, I thought we shared values. Mm-hmm. This is exactly what he's talking about. You know, we, we rooted for the same team. We were together on this. You know, it was always you and me, Red Sox fans, da-da-da-da-da. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, that's, he finds out that's not the case. Mm-hmm. For a baseball family, that can be kind of rough. I like messing with people sometimes. And um, <laughs> it's like I like I like to play around with the um, sort of the uh, the rules of theater, which is kind of like you're you're generally told, like, don't don't send the audience down this one path for 99 percent of the time. And on something that's relatively cliche, just to, to rip the rug out from under them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought this this was the right length for that. And it's, it's even got some fun language in it. Like literally people will say root for the other team. Yeah. Uh, when it comes to sexuality. So the, the language kind of fit together like like puzzle pieces. And I, I think that's a it's a brand of humor that I like to explore, which is um, you kind of you start to you start to tell a joke that everyone knows the punchline to. And the, the, um, they stop listening because they've already filled it in for themselves. Of course, yeah. um, so we, we see this sort of like language at the beginning of this play, which is rather cliche about it's, it's about value. And uh, well, you come into my house and you tell me this and no real man could ever do that. And um, the audience fills in the, the rest of it for themselves. Um, so you might even miss it if you don't pay close enough attention, um, I, w- I would think. Uh, I think people they, maybe not. attention for no, this. Probably yeah. not. No, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I, I, I think it's a well enough written play that you'll keep the audience's attention on this. Let's talk about the big elephant in the room because um, this is the first show that I'm really doing that is during the the crisis, the COVID-19 crisis. Um, 
How are you coping? Uh, do you, are you still working your day job? What's that like? And are you isolating? How are you managing to keep it together? Yeah, I'm, I'm isolating uh, about as well as I can. I, I live on my own with my cat. Um, uh, Will, Will who, my husband, is actually in an apartment that I could hit with a, with a baseball from here. <laughs> so we, okay. we take walks in the morning. Um, uh, I, I, my, my day job is at a, at a coffee roastery where I'm 80% of the time there by myself and then 20% of the time with someone else. Um, so that, that's been relatively safe and we, we've stopped allowing people in. Um, so there, you know, I, I think life has changed more for certain other people and I, I feel lucky about that, but, um, yeah, losing theater has been a big thing. Um, I'm going to be involved with the, um, virtual season, f uh, for the Ithaca Shakespeare company summer coming up, which we're doing, uh, Romeo and Juliet and the comedy of errors. Right. Um, I was kind of surprised that they were going to continue their season. Let's, let's talk about how they're going to yeah. manage this. Are they're, they're not going to be getting together in the same place for rehearsals, are they? Correct. Yeah. It's going to be, uh, it's going to be all virtual. Um, in, in fact, there are people, and this is one of the silver linings, I suppose, that there are people um, in the plays who don't actually live in the area. Um, so we have a couple of New York people and I think a Philadelphia person, which is something that we couldn't have done otherwise. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's going to be no, no people collecting for rehearsals. Um, obviously, it's going to be um, shown to people in, in the comfort of their homes, um, uh, we, we start rehearsal soon, so I, I can't really speak to every technique that's going to be used technically sure. for it. But um, I do I I've got a ton of faith in the ingenuity of not only the two directors of the shows, but also the, the general leadership of the company. So I am more I would I'd say I'm more looking forward to seeing what form it's going to take than I am nervous about what form it's going to take. Yeah. Have you been doing any zooming uh, with other folks doing any kind of theatrical work? so far i've been doing way too much zooming <laughs> not, not a ton of theater but we meet meetings for our company we, we've been doing on a semi-weekly basis it's good to see faces it's 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 really no substitute for shaking a person's hand or giving a hug but it's it's the way that we're getting by right now you holding it together i believe so we'll see we'll see when this airs it's been tough it's on been everybody the complaint i've heard from most people is I'm going stir crazy and I'm mm. feeling a lot of that myself. I'm a very social person. I didn't realize how social I was until I went from 60 to pretty much zero in about 12 yards. And mm -hmm. it's taking a little bit of getting used to. And uh, I think I'm probably adapting a little bit slower than I might have thought, but, yeah. uh, I've been trying to keep in touch with people. So it's uh, it's a bit of a change. And I wonder about friends of my colleagues and how, you know, how they're doing. I keep coming back to that one scene in the movie Outbreak in the movie theater where one person's infected and they sneeze. And the special effects show you the germs running around mm -hmm. infecting God knows how many other people in that particular movie theater. It's like a giant Petri dish. And that just scares the hell out of me. Yeah, it's very scary. And we just today the news broke that uh, one of the one of the major grocery stores in town um, had had a positive test, and it's it's big news and people are really reacting. Um, but another problem going on in America is that 
nowhere near as many people who need to be tested have been tested. Mm-hmm. Um, so wh- where my mind goes when I hear about a, a grocery store employee with it is I think to myself, well, yeah, there's probably a dozen or more of them in there who have had it for a while. Just we're, we're doing such a pathetic job actually getting the numbers down um, or, you know, getting getting the numbers recorded yeah. um, with, and with any accuracy that we, we actually don't have a clue right now how many positive cases there are. We just know how many positive tests there are based on less than 10% of people being tested. Right. So, well, plus it's not to be doom and not to be gloom. Yeah. And hopefully by, hopefully by the time this hits the air, it's going to be a better situation. Uh, But it's, it's very nerve wracking um, for, for people who want to protect themselves and protect the people that they love to know that there's a, there's a sizable uh, percent of our our population who's not taking it nearly, nearly seriously enough. Well, they're, they feel entitled to their, their pleasures, and they'd rather have that than look out for the rest of their friends and neighbors. I find it very, very sad. Do you know anybody who's, got, who's been infected? I, I know a couple people who have been infected and have gotten over it. Okay. Good for them. I'm happy for that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Ithaca... It's we've we we've been pr- relative to the rest of the country and especially uh, relative to New York State. Um, Ithaca has been pretty copacetic um, and it's just every every day you check the stats and you hope you don't see a big rise. Yeah. Let's skip over to um, the last topic, because you are the artistic director of the Ithaca theater group House of Ithaca. Yep. And congratulations on that. I dearly wish I could have seen some of your productions, but I was not in the area at the time. I haven't been there for a while, and I do very, very much miss the Ithaca theater scene. But you guys have been putting on a whole bunch of plays that I would have loved to have seen. What's your experience been like? How's it been for you? It's been crazy. It's, you know, we we um, we're we've done four full productions now. Um, and, and the last one uh, was The Scriker by Carol Churchill, yes. uh, which was the, the first show. I've, I've been the artistic director of the company um, for three productions, and that this is the first one I actually directed. Um, and, of course, it had a cast of 18 people. You um, brave, so it was, brave uh, man. <laughs> cast of 18 people and a, a, a script that you need. A, a, it's harder to solve than a Rubik's Cube. Yes. Um, but it, it was an, an incredibly positive experience. Uh, the, the woman uh, who played the Scriker is a, an actress by the name of Barbara Geary, who just blew our socks off every single rehearsal, and every single performance. Um, and uh, the other the other two stars were um, two two of the really really talented students from the Ithaca College Theater Program, um, Maya Jones and Aaron Lockett. Um, so that it was it was just incredible. Um, it was the first. First one of our productions that we were um, selling out performances to, which is for a, for a new theater, is a really big step. Um, yes, it is. Yeah. And so, and we do we do all of our um, productions at the Cherry Art Space in in Ithaca, which is a really um, it's my favorite space in town um, to produce at um, because the um, the it, there is no affixed seating. Um, so in, within the space, wherever you want the audience and wherever you want the stage is, is you have the power to do that. And in this case, we wanted to do it in the round, uh, which worked out really well. Um, there, we have a couple shows in the dock that are definitely going to be proscenium. Um, we did one with a corner stage that was the, the maids by Jean Genet. 
Um, so it's really great flexibility. And yeah, it's uh, so yeah, to, to further explain, uh, our, our company was um, originally founded as um, a, a horror theater company, and, and the, the inaugural production, which I acted in, was um, Bug One by Tracy Lats. One of my favorite plays. It was, it was a trip. Um, I got to, I, I was the, the really nasty character, the ex-husband. Um, so that was uh, uh, acting territory that I had, as a pretty peaceable person in real life, that I had never explored before. Yeah. That was a lot of fun. Um, and then we did The Pillow Man by Martin McDonough, mm-hmm. um, who actually gets a sort of name drop in the play that we just read. Yeah. Um, and uh, and so as, as the company has evolved, we've kind of expanded the definition from um, horror to just dark. Um, because the, if, if you were really committed to just doing horror plays, you would you would run out of good scripts in you a would. few years. Um, yeah. not, that, not that they're not out there. There just aren't as many as you would like. Um, so we kind of expanded the definition of just sort of dark theater of all kinds. So that could, that could be dark comedy. It could be horror musicals, mm-hmm. which we have one of those coming up next year. Um, it, it could be dark, dark dramas that don't necessarily have a supernatural element. Um, so yeah, we're, we were, we were all set to, to kind of, uh, hit the ground running for 2020. And that obviously has been put on hold. Um, but, uh, God willing, um, and by November, um, by November, we're going to be uh, back up. Okay. Are you going to do it virtual or are you going to try and do it with people in the house? We're going to try to do it with people in the house. Um, we, obviously, it's just a situation that, that we're monitoring. If, sure. it, if, it doesn't seem po- if it doesn't seem possible, then we will we'll jump on the virtual wagon, yeah. <laughs> I think. Um, the tech is there, and it's only going to get better. Yeah. Yeah, that is good news. And I, I've got a lot of... Um, we have uh, companies in town like Ithaca Shakespeare, like the Cherry Art Space, uh, like the Hangar Theater, who are um, the, the the brave parties who are floating trial balloons um, and producing really yeah. awesome shows with this technology that that everyone's just learning on the fly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so it's you know the theater is um, ideally a very supportive atmosphere, and I I think it, one. Another silver lining that's coming out of this is that people really have each other's backs, and um, I, I've everything that I'm talking to people about and, and reading about is just everyone trying to prop each other up at the same time, um, which is really difficult um, when they're when the when our foundation feels like it's crumbling. But it's you got to keep going. It's changing. Yeah, that 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 it is. Um, it's a people have been. People have been trying to pronounce theater dead for 400 years Since now. Since the day theater opened. Yeah. People have been saying, and theater's dying. We can't get people into the audiences. We can't do this. It hasn't died yet. It's not going to die. It's yeah. going to change. And it's gonna... it may not be a welcome change, but it is a change we have. We can't argue with. We just have to adapt. Yeah. And I think that's going to make what we do and how we write and how we present grow we're going to find things to say that we haven't found before or, or ways of saying things that we haven't found before it's i think it's i have to look at this as a way of opening up new horizons and challenging our status quo and making our profession evolve well cheers to that yeah, and I think um, I think I even think once the humans are gone, the one of one of the first things the cockroaches are going to do is put on Midsummer. 
Oh, on that note, AJ, thank you so much. <laughs> oh, thank you, George. For being a guest on the show again and for the fantastic play, Curse of the Bambino. Uh, we had so much fun putting that together. Stay safe, stay well, be careful, and take care of those you love. And all the same to you, my friend. Okay. Hey kids, thanks for listening to On Stage, Off Stage. On Stage, Off Stage is produced monthly and can be heard on WRFI Ithaca Community Radio 88.1 and 91.9 Watkins Glen. All of our shows are archived and can be found at onstageoffstage.org and also on iTunes. If you enjoy what we do, please recommend us to your friends. Don't forget to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at OnOffStage. Onstage Offstage believes in and advocates for a world where all people are free to live their lives as they wish, in peace and without fear. We believe in universal respect, diversity, and equality in all areas of life for all people, no matter their nationality, race, religion, age, sexual orientation, or gender. I'm George Sapio. Thanks once again for listening.